Okay, well, we are in um, week two of our Hindsight series. Last week, we kicked it off on Mother's Day, um, and I'm thankful that I didn't get a lot of emails from you guys, so thank you for loving me back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I want to I pray, and then we're going to dive into our content for today. Um, and so today is a little different than normal, but I'm excited about what today has for us. Okay, so let's pray. God, we want to say thank you so much for your love, for your grace. We thank you for the mercy that we have um, in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you are a God who um, we don't need technology to worship you. God, we can, we can worship you whether we know lyrics or we don't know lyrics. God, it's all about the state and the standing of our heart. God, is our heart bent towards you? Or is our heart distracted by the things of the world? So God, what we have faced here this morning is just a microcosm of things that we face every single day. But God, um, my prayer is for all of us that if, if for some reason we have felt distracted prior to this moment, God, that in this moment our hearts would uh, be able to be drawn back and focused directly on you. Because God, you're worthy. You're worthy of all of our love, our admiration, our worship, our attention. And God, it's in these moments like this, um, Father, that, that you can speak through uh, the chaos. And God, if we will lean in to listen, God, if we would sit on the edge of our seats, God, to hear you, God, you can continue to communicate to us, to speak truth and life into us. And God, to change us and shape us into the image of your son, Jesus. And so that is in his name that we pray and ask all these things this morning. Amen. All right. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in those. Uh, since we don't have screens, you will probably need those. Uh, they might be, might be some in the pew in front of you, or hopefully you, if not, you have it on your Bible. version Bible app perhaps would be a good way to start. So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of int- introduce uh, this morning. Um, and there's a, there's a piece of wisdom that I think that we are all very familiar with. And, and here it is. Hindsight is always what? All right, so some of you know that, right? Hindsight is always 2020. So what does that mean? Like, we all know what that means, right? I mean, it's an idiom that reminds us of the fact that when we look back at all of our decisions, we can see crystal clear what the right decision would have been or, hey, I made the right decision. Like, we can always look in the rearview mirror of our life and we can tell that the decision was good or it was bad. And if it was bad, this is probably what we should have done. Um, and another way of saying it is that, and we've said this before, if I would have known then what I what? If I would have known then what I know now, I would have made a decision, I would have made my decision differently. And we've all probably got some of those stories. We all likely have some hindsight decisions that we wish we could go back. Anybody in here have some of those? Right? Like I, I know I do. There's some decisions that I wish I could go back in my life and, and make differently. Uh, some decisions that I made that brought pain in my life. There were some decisions that I've made in my life that uh, made my journey from where I was to where I wanted to be a lot longer. I took the sort of, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, I took the Israel route coming out of Egypt to get to the promised land. And many of us live in that. Many of us understand that. Many of us get that. So, the reality is, is that even though we all probably have things that we wish we could go back and change, decisions that we could go back and make different, um, we all know this too, right? Unless Doc Brown's vision comes to reality and that DeLorean is able to take us back, then it's just not going to happen. So the question that we then have to ask ourselves is, what do we do going forward? 
If you can't change the past, the only thing that you can look, look at is what do you do now? One of the problems with bad decisions is in our past is that those bad decisions often become an anchor to our life. It becomes this scar that we just can never get past. It becomes scars that we can never get over. And we think about them and we think about those past decisions and we feel like that that's who we are. And and to some extent, we are a culmination of the decisions that we have made in the past. However, we don't have to allow those things to become our identity. We don't have to let those things define us. We can look back and let them remind us of the errors of our ways and then hopefully make changes based on what we have learned from past experiences. And there's many people in the world, we know that. If it's not you, there's people you know in your life. We all run across them on a daily basis. They are still anchored and weighed down by decisions that they've made in the past and they just can't get past their past. That may be you today. It may, again, it may be somebody you know. How do we get past our past? How do we move past our past? And let me say it this way. How do we help people as a church, as a Christian community, as the body of Christ, how do we help people move past their past? That's what we're in ministry for. When Jesus died on the cross, he said it is finished. What was finished? Our sins, the sins of humanity were paid for for those that would place their faith in them. So when we We are not defined by our past because of what Jesus did. We're defined by what took place in the past in light of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So we don't have to walk. There is therefore now no condemnation, Paul would say, for those who are in Christ. So what Paul is saying is like, hey, forget what was past. Strive forward to what's ahead so that you can become and do and live the life that Jesus Christ created you for and saved you for. That you don't, you and I, we don't have to allow our past bad decisions to become an anchor in our life. So how do we, the church, help people move past their past and how do we move past our past? What I want to do is I want to look really quick, if you would, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to look at a very popular, famous passage of scripture. Um, you'll know it as the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, and, and here's what it says. I want to read, uh, we're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 15 of Luke. And then I want to read through 16. I want to talk for a second, and then we'll wrap it up, and then I want to introduce somebody to you. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, it says, and he said, this is Jesus speaking. He's teaching this parable. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So see, there's a decision. I mean, no one ever sets out to do that. No one ever decides that, you know, hey, I want to be, I want to squander everything that I have and live with regret, but this is where this man is at. He's, so it, it goes on in 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. It's amazing how that happens. See, our bad decisions lead us into bad places, and then it just seems like when one thing starts falling apart, the whole thing falls apart. And this is where he's at. He squanders all his money in reckless living, and now there's a famine in the land. So now, not only does he not have money, food's scarce, and we know um, from experience that when things are scarce, prices go where? Up, right? Um, And so when he had spent everything... Verse 14, and a fierce famine arose, he began to be in need. 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs, which is a big deal because Jewish people, pigs were considered unclean, and so therefore anybody who touched pigs was also considered unclean. And he was, um, in verse 16, 
And he was longing to be fed with the pods that pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. I mean, have you been there? You ever felt that way? I mean, this, it's so bad. I mean, he's, he's in, it's a severe famine. He's hungry. Food is scarce. He has no money. He blew it all. Can you imagine in that moment how he must, I mean, again, this is a story. It's a story to illustrate something. We know this isn't a real thing necessarily that happened, but it could have happened. And it has happened in some senses in a lot of people's lives. Could you imagine being in a position where you have no money, food is scarce, and you're greatly in need, and then you begin to think back. Like, man, if I could have, hindsight's twenty twenty. if I could have had that decision all over again, I would have decided something completely different than what I actually decided. See, feeling that there was nowhere, nowhere to turn, this son attempts to make the best out of a bad situation. He's like, okay, like I've already, when I left my father's house and asked for my inheritance, when he did that, he was essentially saying in that culture, dad, you're dead to me. You're dead, so I want my inheritance. And so he gives him the inheritance. He goes off. He squanders it all in reckless living. He reaches this place in his life where he realizes that things are really, really bad. And in that moment, he tries to hunker down and make the best out of a bad situation. And it's amazing. Like, so he's, he's making the best out of a, or trying to uh, make this the best the best out of a terrible, terrible situation that he finds himself in. And isn't that what a lot of people do? A lot of us, when we're in a bad situation, we go, okay, well, let's just try to make the best out of this. Let's pitch our tent in this place where as we, as we try to settle down, we go, this is a new norm of life. Life has brought us to this point, possibly again because of bad situations. And so we're just gonna try to make our living right here. And it's not a great place. It's not where we would choose to live. It's not what we wanna be. It's not what we wanna do, but let's just try to make the best of it. And unfortunately, that's where so many people are living their life. Let's, you know, hey, we blew it. Maybe people have given up on us. Maybe I've given up on myself. But let's just try to make the best of it. Which is not necessarily a bad philosophy of life until you bump into Scripture. And you bump into some things that Jesus said. In John 10.10, let me just read this to you. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I came that they might be able to make the most out of a bad situation. It's not what it says, is it? He says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may get back a small portion of what they blew. It's not what it says either. What Jesus did say is he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus didn't say, I came that you could just eek by and get by in life. He, he said, I didn't come that, you know, you could, I, that in, in your life you would be consistently anchored to your past and you would never be able to make, and, uh, uh, make anything out of your life nor amount to anything in this life. But he says, I came that they may have life. He's talking about sinful people, me and you. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. Well, what is that? What does that mean? Watch what happens next. Here's the amazing thing, right? Verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself. There may be a moment in here for some of you, for, for somebody watching online, there, there may be a moment where we have to come to ourselves. And coming to ourselves means realizing that we cannot go back into the past and change our past. But what we can come to ourselves and realize is that Jesus died to not just rescue us from our past, but deliver us into a beautiful future 
that we are not our past mistakes, that we are who we were, we were, we are who God created us to be. We were created on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. We were saved and set apart that we might accomplish things for the kingdom of God. That's what he called us to. And so no matter what your past is, there's an opportunity every time we bump up against scripture to come to our senses. And this is what this young man in the story does. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? So he realizes in a moment that his father's workers are better off than he is. So he decides, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. He says, look, now he's going to go, and if we read the rest of the story, He's going back to hire himself out to his father for income so he can eat, so he can be fed, so he can have a a better life than he currently has. But when he comes to his senses and he runs to his father, as he runs to the father, guess what happens? The father sees him coming. The father runs to him, and when he gets there, he's got this whole speech prepared. Hey, father, if you would, I know I don't deserve it, but if you would just hire me out as one of your servants, and before he can even get that whole sentence that he's prepared in his head to to give to his father. When he gets there, his father just hugs his neck, puts a robe on him, gives him a ring, and throws him a huge party. So question. The prodigal was able to go from sorrow and separation to celebration. He was able to move past his past. Because he came to his senses, he understood where his real help comes from. It's not from within, it's from his heavenly, it's from his earthly father. For us, it's our heavenly father. And because he had somewhere and someone to run to, he found hope. Life began to be a celebration again. So where do you run to when you blow it? Where do you run to? What if people... What if the people in our communities, what if they felt like they had a place to run to when they blew it? What if instead of being a place of judgmental looks and judgmental conversations, what if the church became a place where people ran to the love and care of the Father, where they didn't feel judged, where they didn't feel persecuted, where they felt like they could be accepted, no matter what they've done in the past? Because we believe something, that God can save the most vile sinner like me, that God could deliver me from my past of poor decisions, of living a life of full rebellion towards him, that he could deliver me from that, And use me, and he can use you to do great and mighty and amazing things for the kingdom of God. Well, see, that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a hospital for the sick. It's supposed to be a place where people feel like they can come and and be loved back to a place where they feel useful in the hands of a heavenly father. You know, there's a... There are also some parachurch organizations out there that do this as well. And I want to introduce one of these to you and introduce someone who represents this organization. The name of the organization is the Pregnancy Care Center. And this morning we have um, Miss Jennifer Metzger 
uh, here to share with us about an amazing ministry that provides help to people. I've never been in this situation, but you, you may know someone who's been in this situation. You yourself maybe have been in a situation before where you felt like you had nowhere to turn. And if you haven't, the one thing that we do realize based on the the things that we see happening in the world around us is there are a lot of people who feel like there's nowhere to go, there's no one to run to, and there's no place to find help. And so Jennifer, if you would, uh, if you would come up here, would you help me welcome Jennifer Metzger to the stage? Here you go. This is all you. Jennifer, if you would just share with our congregation about the Pregnancy Care Center. when you have youth that are here and so involved and what a blessing that is. But um, I'd like to briefly share a little bit about myself and about the center and what we do. Um, I never assume that anyone understands exactly what our services are, so I'll kind of go into detail what that looks like. We do serve Tiff County, we serve Osceola, we serve Douglas, so many surrounding counties, so it's important they were able to get out and just share our vision and share our mission. And um, provide a platform for you not only to pray for us, but get involved as well. Um, the Pregnancy Care Center is a lot like the church. It is a platform to share the gospel. And so I will get into that, but a little bit about myself. Um, I was born and raised in Tiff County, and when I was in my 20s, I went through an unexpected pregnancy. I was going through a divorce, and I found out I was pregnant. And so the Lord was so good to me during that time. I had a faith family. I knew where to run back to. I couldn't help but to think of myself in that story this morning with the prodigal son because I was a prodigal daughter. I grew up in church. I went through the motions. I did all the things, but I ran, and I was in rebellion for several years. And it was through my unexpected pregnancy that God brought me back to church, and my faith family walked with me through that time. And so I became a single mother, and I had no idea that God would bring me to the Pregnancy Care Center. I'll be completely honest with you. I went in as a volunteer to do an internship and become the executive director. <laughs> and so only God can do those things. And it's been a blessing. I have led the Pregnancy Care Center for the last seven years as a single mom. And then a year ago, I met my husband, and we got married, and we have one on the way. So it's pretty awesome to go through this season of single parenting and then to be married and have a child on the way, and just is such a blessing. But the Pregnancy Care Center, we are a small nonprofit. We do minister to women who are in unexpected pregnancies, but our services go much deeper than that. Um, we minister to the families as well. If you're watching in the news right now, there is a lot going on. As a matter of fact, tomorrow, there will be, in this week, there will be some big decisions made with the Supreme Court. Um, Roe v. Wade, it was something that was legalized in 1972, and since then, there have been over 62 million abortions in our nation. And something that we have to understand and recognize about abortion, it doesn't just victimize that woman, it victimizes the baby within the womb, and it leaves a ripple effect through the generations. 
I believe Mother Teresa is the one who said it, and she said it best, is God cannot bless this nation with innocent blood on our hands. And so the Pregnancy Care Center, our mission is to slow women down, to help them in their decision-making process. Because every woman that has an abortion, her last words were, I felt I had no choice. We know that's a lie of the enemy. There are choices. It's an easy option. It's presented as easy. But the ripple effect that it creates, the trauma that it creates for that woman and the life that's lost. And so the Pregnancy Care Center, what we do is we slow these women down and we show them, hey, you have a village behind you. If parenting is not a decision, you can make adoption. And so we just kind of walk with them through those decisions as we were talking about with hindsight we don't always make the right decisions. And so we recognize that one in four women in our nation have had abortions. And so we make sure that we minister to these women as well. We have post-abortion counseling that we do. And we want these women to share their stories because there is forgiveness. There is no condemnation. And so we want to make sure that that truth is there. But um, what our services really look like is when a woman comes into our center, everything we do for her is free and confidential. She is met with a nurse and with an advocate. The medical services are what these women are looking for. They need an ultrasound. They need the pregnancy test. And so the nurse is able to do those things for them. It's amazing how real a pregnancy becomes when you see the ultrasound, when you see the heartbeat. And so it's important that we have these services available. But what's even more so important is a spiritual conversation that we can have with her. After she is through meeting with the nurse, she then meets with an advocate who is basically there to provide spiritual conversation. How do you feel about abortion? You know, just kind of building relationship with her and see what is the driving force behind her decision. A lot of times, the father of the baby or the family can be a huge driving force. And so we want them to understand that we can get them plugged in with a faith family. I know for me during my pregnancy, that was everything to me because there are seasons of life we need people to walk alongside of us and carry us for a time. And so we provide her with those services and also outside services, um, parenting classes, whatever we can connect her with, we want to do that. And so we're able to do that through the Pregnancy Care Center. We do have... um, we, we have a medical clinic, First Choice. That is the center that we bring these women through just to provide discretion and just to um, be able to do those things. But we, one of the things that we're really wanting to do is go mobile. Like I said, we don't just minister to women in the Tiff County area. It is surrounding counties. And a lot of times, transportation is an issue. And I can't think of a better way to take the gospel forward than to do it mobile. And so that's something we have been praying about that we are making strides towards doing. Um, like I said, we, we see so many women, and we don't want them to not come um, simply because they don't have a way of going. And so that's something that we're really trying to do in this season. God has blessed us tremendously through the pandemic. Um, I always have to share the story because it's just such a powerful testimony. But we actually moved locations um, at the end of 2020. We bought a home and we paid it off this past February. And so with that being said, we know God has huge plans for this ministry. Um, we're really working towards how can we be effective in a post row world because the reality of it is unexpected pregnancy is not going anywhere. Um, I'll never forget when I first started as ED, um, I was speaking at a church once and I had someone come up to me 
And they said, well, won't it be great when Roe v. Wade's overturned? We won't need pregnancy care centers. And I just remember thinking, we'll need pregnancy care centers more than ever because it's not just her choice we're invested in. We're invested in her. And it's like I tell people, the culture should define the law, not the other way around. So now that we're making these strides towards having the law on our side, having Roe v. Wade overturned, there's going to be a lot of needs, and there's going to be a lot of women in crisis situations. If you've been keeping up with the news, you might have heard of the heartbeat bill. And so basically, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, Georgia would pass the heartbeat bill, which means a woman could not get an abortion once there's a heartbeat detected. So that makes our job a little bit more difficult because we are trying to slow her down in that decision-making process. So we need to understand that we've got to have these services available and the mobile unit's one of the ways that we feel like we could do this. And so, you know, there's a lot of vision we have. Strengthening our services is one of them. Um, something we wanna do is teach women how to single parent. I went through single parenting for 10 years and it was hard. I couldn't have done it without my faith family to teach me and to lead me and guide me. And so we recognize when these women come in, they need to know how to do these things. We actually had a situation here recently where a woman come in and she just literally collapsed in our waiting area. Her daughter is 14 years old and pregnant with the second child. So there's a need there is a huge need to counsel these women and to lead them and to get them plugged in to a, to a faith family. Because the thing is, history repeats itself. And there are people living in cycles, and we want to help them break those cycles. And so it's so important that we strengthen our services. And not only that, for women who've had abortions, as I mentioned a while ago, there are many, many women who are they're suffering in silence. And we want to break that stigma. It's not easy talking about abortion. It's something we don't like to talk about, but it is so necessary because there have been women who've went through this and it has crippled them and they have suffered for years. And the way we get power over that is sharing our testimony and giving people hope. But um, there's a lot to this ministry. There's a lot we have going on. We're trying to get our male advocacy going because like I said, the... Um, the father of the baby is often the driving force behind her decision. So there's just so many ways our platform can grow. And we know that we, it's important to know what's going on in the world, but at the same time, we have to make sure that we are, you know, understanding that we've got to do what God's called us to do, and we have to keep our eyes on Him so that we can minister effectively.